Our scripture reading will be coming from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 21, but we'll start at verse 12. So Colossians chapter 12, going to Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 3.12 Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that we now come to a passage of Scripture that directly addresses us in our relationships here at Grace, and even in our relationships such as husbands and wives and children's and uh, children and their parents. Father, help us as we delve into this passage to see how your new creation is to flavor all of our interactions and all of our relationships, and how we are to appropriately to either submit to the authority that is over us or to steward that authority that you have given us. Oh, Father, help us now, we pray. In your Son's holy and perfect name, amen. Tonight we are talking about marriage and family. Marriage and family. I had a preacher friend tell me once that his most popular preaching series was on marriage and family. And he was a little discouraged, funny enough, because he wanted his series on Christology or, or some of those other highfalutin, more important topics on the Bible to be the thing that really captured the church. But no, marriage and family. His church wanted to learn how to be good moms and dads, good husbands and wives. But after joking about his preaching, he said something along the lines like this, like, uh, how if my people can be good moms and dads, husbands and wives, to the glory of God, 
then I guess that is worth it. How true that is. So coming to our passage, Christ has inaugurated His new creation among His church. What we just read there in Colossians 12 and following. And this reality was to be reflected in their lives. The Colossians were to do, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, under His kingship, giving thanks to God through Him. Simply put, believers to revol- were to revolve their lives around the truth that Jesus is Lord. And with this truth in mind, Paul now turns and addresses the issues of submission and stewardship in the church's relationships. And the reason he does this is because sin, sin works the blessing of authority wherever it goes. But hear this, brothers and sisters. Since Jesus is Lord, we must serve in our relationships. That's our main point for tonight. If, since Jesus is Lord, we must serve in our relationships. In our passage, Paul calls us to serve in our marriages and our families. Our two points for this evening. To serve in our marriages and in our families. And in each of these relationships, there are those who are called to submit to the authority over them and those called to steward the authority given to them. So with that said, let's jump into our first point. Since Jesus is Lord, we must serve our marriages. We must serve our marriages. In verses 18 to 19, we see how wives are to submit and how husbands are to steward their authority in marriage. In verse 18, wives are called to serve in their submission. Paul commands wives to submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And let's be very quite clear, in in our day, the the term submission, the the term submit, has kind of gotten a flowery phrase to it recently, uh, just to kind of make it a little bit more attractive to modern sensibilities. But quite literally, to submit means to be subject, meaning to let someone else rule. Wives were to give the reins of their own lives over to their husbands. And their status as wives, married Christian women, were to be ruled by their husbands. But do note that Paul qualifies the submission in that second phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. Wives are to submit in a manner that is proper or appropriate in the Lord. So this is the idea. Paul's command is not a blind obedience, but an appropriate submission to the limited powers that King Jesus has given their husbands. Do you see that? It is a similar principle as we see in Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands, to your own husbands as to the Lord. This qualifier here in Colossians protects wives against the tyranny of making their husbands Lord over their life rather than the Lord Jesus. However, sisters... This command still demands real obedience. Wives, it is very tempting to only highlight the limitations of your husband's authority here. But this does not give you the freedom to limit your husband's authority beyond the degree that the Lord has given him. Think of the Apostle Peter's commands to wives in his epistle. He, commands, he compares their obedience to the obedience of what? 
slaves. Slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Then he goes down to say, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, meaning that they are not Christians, they may be won without a word by their conduct of their wives when they see your respectable and pure conduct. Like Peter, Paul was most likely addressing people in a variety of marital contexts, such as we have here tonight. Not just those who have believing spouses. We see that plainly in 1 Corinthians 7. So Paul commands a high obedience to even unworthy men. But this obedience, brothers and sisters, this is key. This obedience that wives give to unworthy men is good. Why? Because ultimately, it is given to the worthy King Jesus. And in verse 19, husbands are called to serve in their marital relationships by stewarding the powers given to them. In Roman culture, men were to lead, provide, and defend in their marriages. Sounds familiar, right? But Paul calls Christians, particularly Christian men, to the higher calling of love that marks, Christian, that marks Christ's new creation. In Ephesians, husbands are to love their wives because their marital reunion their, or union reflects the union of Christ's church with the Lord. This may be the logic of Paul here in Colossians. Just as, the, just as the church is called into one body to facilitate peace and promote love among one another, what we saw last time, husbands likewise are, to, are called to a marital union marked by love, promoting their wives' peace and flourishing. And also notice the second half of the command. Do not be harsh with your wives. Again, in in Roman culture, being demanding or being harsh with your wife was seen as a necessary expense for the man to prosper his name in society. That was the goal of men. The good ends justify the harsh means, so to speak. However, Paul sees this as perverting the husband's limited authority. It is abusing authority, a power that does not belong to husbands. To be harsh with one's wife is to be a tyrant in the home. So this worldly excuse from Roman culture should not influence Christian husbands. Husbands are to rule with the sufficient authority that Christ has given them. And it was to the benefit of their wife, not merely the man. Christian husbands cannot be self-interested or self-indulgent in their marriages. They must think of their wives first and foremost. By stewarding His God-given authority, husbands are charged to lead and love to the service of their wives, not being harsh to the service of their own interest. Husbands, love is the opposite of self-service. And showing honor to your wife shows that you actually believe that Jesus is Lord. Again, think about what Peter teaches. 
Likewise, husbands, love your wives in an, uh, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. For Peter, to honor one's wife was to be rooted in the belief that you are both heirs of the grace of life, that you are heirs of the new creation. And so likewise for Paul, loving your wife and not being harsh is rooted in the belief that Jesus is king. He has given you authority. The way we steward our authority shows the authority we have been given by our God and King. So we are not to abuse it, lest your prayers be hindered. Brothers and sisters, there are a plethora of ways that we could apply the biblical principles of stewardship for husbands and submission for wives in our marriages. There's a thousand ways. But I want us to focus primarily on the context that Paul is giving, is giving these commands. Remember what we saw all the way back in chapter 1. Christ is the Lord both over the old creation and the new, right? As the divine creator, Christ is Lord over the old creation. He is our creator. And as our incarnate redeemer, Christ is Lord over the new creation. And in chapter 3, Paul is giving these marital commands in the context of Christ's renewal of the new creation. The putting off of the old and the putting on of the new. And so with this said, I want you to ponder this question with me. Does marriage, does marriage belong to the old creation or the new? Does marriage belong to the old creation or the new? Jesus gives us a fairly clear answer in the Gospels. He says in the resurrection, meaning the consummated new creation, men and women neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So marriage belongs to the old creation. It was instituted at creation in Genesis 2 by Jesus. However, Paul wants us to see that this old creation institution ultimately serves the new. Even though marriages belong to the old, Jesus still governs it for the purpose for his purposes in the new creation. Christ's purpose is to have a the new creation spread through the gospel and his church, filling the earth with God's glory and praise. And our holy submission for wives and our holy stewardship as husbands in our marriages, they show that Christ's new creation and kingdom has indeed broken into the old world, into the old creation, and proclaiming to the world that the new has come. Again, I've said this phrase a thousand times over the past few, but our marriages, brothers and sisters, are no small thing. How you steward and how you submit in your Christian marriages is no small thing. It proclaims a divine reality. Brothers and sisters, this may seem like a minor point, but it is a needed corrective for the church today. 
I've heard many stories about how a family member got saved and it led to the salvation of their spouse and the rest of the family. Praise God. Amazing. I do not want to downplay that enough. Praise God for that. The gospel does indeed change lives and whole families. But what can subtly happen when we inundate ourselves with these stories? What happens? If you're anything like me, the focus remains on that restored marriage, doesn't it? Of how great their marriage now is. Our focus can remain on simply the marriage and not on God's glory spreading. Brothers and sisters, the end goal of the gospel and the new creation is not good marriages. The end goal of the gospel is not good marriages. But the end goal of good marriages is the new creation and gospel. If we are not careful, we become peddlers of a prosperity gospel for those seeking only a happier marriage when they should be seeking Christ and His kingdom. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have a far better gospel than simply how to live a better life or how to have a happier marriage. So sisters, whether you are married to a believer or not, or whether you are married to a good man or not, you are still called to submit to Him. Yes, your husband is not your sovereign ruler, only Christ is. But Christ calls you to submit to that man. Christ is the only one who... Christ is the one who has instituted your marriage at creation. And in His grace, Christ can use your holy conduct to convict your husband of his failures. But sisters, hear this. If this is a gospel that you are looking for, even if He does not change, your submission to Him shows that you follow a Lord who is worthy. So is Christ's lordship not enough for your submission? Is Christ's glory not enough to tame your desires for a way out or to fight against your husband? Is Christ himself not worthy for you to accept the lot that you have been given? Sisters, it is not about your happy marriage, but it is supremely about the delight of the Savior. Self-satisfaction in your marriage belongs to the old man. But Christ's glory through your submission in marriage belongs to the new because God Himself, Christ Himself, will use your lowly submission for His infinite glory. It is no small thing, sisters. Likewise, brothers, whether you are, a mar- whether you are married to a believer or not, or whether you are married to a good woman or not, you are still called to steward your authority over her. You are not the Lord over her life. Christ is. If you are harsh or negligent, you are abusing the authority Christ has given you. He has given you a limited authority of your wife so that you can serve her well. And your service is to bring her to a greater knowledge of Christ and His glory. As Ephesians says, we are to serve the needs, especially the spiritual needs of our wives, just as Christ washes washes His church in the Word. 
Brothers, your marriage and your wives do not serve you, your career, your ambitions, or your hobbies. You serve them, period. That is what you are called to, men. Marriage is not about what you can get out of your wife, but what you can give her. And what you can give her is a picture of the gospel, of an all-authoritative king coming down to serve old fallen humanity and restoring them to his new creation. Husbands, that is someone worth following. That is someone worth loving. So love your wives and love them as Christ has loved you and his church. Again, brothers, I say this. Your love is no small thing. It is about the infinite glory of our Christ. Moving on. So then, husbands and wives serve in their marriages in different ways. But they have the same end goal, the glory of God, and to make the gospel of the new creation known through their marriages. But this same goal is found in our relationships with our children. This brings us to our second point. Since Jesus is Lord, we must serve in our families. In verses 20 to 21, we see how children are to submit to their parents and how fathers have a unique stewardship in child rearing. In verse 20, and please look there with me, Paul addresses the children among the church. You see that word there, children. And the word for children can can extend to both younger children and older children, even to adulthood. It's just a common word for offspring. But in Ephesians, we have a parallel to this verse in verse 20 of Ephesians. Or uh, to verse 20. Where, and in Ephesians, Paul charges fathers to bring children up in the discipline of the Lord. And that idea of bringing them up should lead us to the idea that these are younger children. Children in that passage, and possibly in Colossians, is referring to those in their more formative adolescent years. So we're talking younger children. Also, remember that Paul is writing to children who would have a variety of spiritual contacts. Some children would have parents who were both believers, and some would only have one believing parent. And these children may or may not have been converted themselves, but still, Paul, because he knows that Christ is Lord, he, still, he can still adamantly declare to these children their submission. But no matter their context, Paul calls these children to obey their parents in everything. By everything, Paul does not mean obeying a pagan parent's command to worship an ancestral deity or suffer abuses, which would have been common in that day. Rather, Paul has in mind a submission that seeks to have young children learn to live well through their parents. By God's design, children are to be instructed by their parents on how to live in God's created order. And Paul's reason? We say there in verse 20, because it is pleasing or acceptable in the Lord. The child's obedience, even to an unbelieving parent, is good and acceptable because that is exactly how God created us to learn and to live well. So children, let me ask you. Children, eyes up on me, please. There you go, much better. Children, God gave you parents so that you could learn to live right 
and well. That's a blessing. That is a blessing that God has given you. And so let me ask you, are you submitting to them? Are you listening to them? Your parents may not be perfect. Trust me, I'm a parent. I am not perfect. But God gave you parents so that you would learn how to live as God intends for you to live. So your job is to cherish this blessing and say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. You must listen and obey in everything they say. It is for your good. Moving on. Paul's command here is like, uh, like his command in Ephesians 6, where Paul quotes the fifth commandment to children in the father's responsibility. Children, again, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul's commands to fathers in Ephesians is rooted in the Old Covenant law where Israel was to teach God's commandments to their offspring. And this is most likely the logic behind the command in Colossians 3. Children should learn from their fathers and mothers basic principles on how to live well. But their focus, brothers and sisters, should be on how to live a life pleasing in the Lord. In other words, the focus should not merely linger on how to live well under the old creation, but on how to prepare the children for the new. Also in verse 20 and 21, Paul is alluding to a specific passage in his exhortation to the fathers that relates to the child's obedience. You might know this passage from Deuteronomy 21, where God shows us how to deal with disobedient sons. Let me just fill y'all in, children. It does not end well for the disobedient sons. In that passage, the son is described as having become contentious and disobedient. But Paul shows fathers how to keep their children from such sins. So he's preparing them for a way of not having their child go down this dangerous route. Paul commands fathers specifically specifically, not to provoke or act in a way that embitters or provokes their children to become disobedient. By becoming embittered, children can become discouraged from doing as God commanded, to do that which is acceptable, and also to prepare them for the new. Now, fathers, notice that Paul is calling us out. He isn't addressing parents broadly, though he wouldn't exclude mothers from the same command or the same principles. But Paul is calling out fathers specifically. The reason why is because we are the heads of the home. So we have a greater authority to steward for our children's future. By our conduct and instruction, our children will either be discouraged to be insolent and contentious or encouraged to be good and faithful not only in our families and the greater society, but before the living and holy God. And to embitter is not just to be being mean or cruel like pagan, like a pagan would behave. It includes a whole host of failures that can cause our children to turn from our instruction. 
we can neglect them. We can lose their trust by not keeping our promises and by showing them what integrity does not look like. Brothers, fatherhood is not merely about making a good life or teaching your children what the good life is or how they can have it. That's not fatherhood. Our fatherhood is about our children's spiritual well-being. Yes, it is by God's work that our children will be saved. But God uses fathers. God uses fathers. Like our marriages, our relationships in our families are not about the here and now, but the future to come. The gospel and the new creation do not serve our good families. Our good families serve the gospel and the new creation. Originally, the family was instituted at creation, pronounced good in God's sight. The family was how image bearers were to multiply and fill the earth and expand the domain of Eden and God's glory across the cosmos. But sin entered in and ruined this glorious vision. The family cannot accomplish what it was meant to do all along. The family in and of itself cannot produce God-glorifying image bearers. It cannot. It is only by being born of the Spirit that we reflect the glory of Christ. In Christ alone, God now renews fallen men after His perfect image. And His church now spreads to fill His redemptive dominion across the cosmos to the praise of the Father. And though the family is not the catalyst of God's glory spreading, only the Spirit is. However, God still uses the family for this very purpose. Brothers and sisters, many of you here are benefactors of godly parents. You have taken up their faith because you have come to love their same Savior. That is no accident. That is by God's design, and it is a glorious one at that. And so children, again, I ask that you look up. Children, your parents want to give you the good life. They teach you and equip you with knowledge and the character that you need to flourish in God's world. Your obedience to them is very good and it is for your good. Your submission is how you learn how to learn well to live in God's world. Children, some do not have parents who are Christians. Some do not have parents who teach them how to learn to live well. But God has blessed you with parents for your good. So we need to obey them in all things. Especially when your parents teach you about God and the gospel of Jesus. You need to listen to every word. They want you to share their faith because they know that Jesus is the true king on the throne. They want you to know Jesus now so that you can have Jesus in the future. Children. You have a king above. You do. The question is, does he know you? And do you know him? Children, come to the Lord. Repent of your sins. Turn and receive this king. For he is good to sinners such as you and I. 
Listen and obey to your parents. It is for your good, children. And thank God for giving you parents who have been renewed by Jesus. I would do anything if I could have parents like some of these parents here. Actually, all of them. Just the mere fact that they love Jesus and are willing to teach that to their own. That is a blessing that you should count every single day of your life, children. And parents, see the rich blessing you have in teaching the faith. You have been given a great authority and responsibility to shepherd your child's heart. Not only in God's original creation, but to prepare them for the new. And fathers, the shepherding of your home is given supreme importance in God's eyes. You are called to nurture your bride spiritually and lead your little ones in the path of holiness. Your role as a husband and father is to reflect the very character and work of God as He has revealed to us in Jesus. You are to serve with your great authority to nourish your family spiritually as a presentation of Christ's gospel to us. Brothers, That is a high calling, is it not? We need to recognize, therefore, where we have failed in this duty given to us. Notice that the Apostle Paul emphasized the negative rather than the positive with the fathers in Colossae. He knew that Christian fathers were prone to live for themselves rather than serve Jesus in their marriages and families. So then let me ask you, brothers, this is a searching question for my own soul. Have we been harsh with our wives and embittered our children? Every time we neglect our spiritual life, we tell our families that God is not important to us. Every time we are harsh with our wives, we show that Jesus is not patient and merciful. Every time we fail to discipline our children, we show that Jesus is not righteous and perfect. Or every time we do discipline and cross the line, we show that Jesus is a cruel master. Every time we fail to keep our promises, we show that Jesus does not have integrity. And every time we raise our voice to put down our law, we show that Jesus is not our king, but ourselves. And may God have mercy upon our souls if we have ever used our Christian faith or your, or your wife's Christian faith as a justification for mistreating or abusing our families or our wives. Husbands and fathers, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. And fathers, if you are convicted by these words, then humble yourselves. Your families do not serve you, but you serve your families to live under King Jesus. Husbands and fathers, whether you are young or old, know that it is never too late for repentance. Your children may be older and you have spurned your responsibility to teach them of Christ. And you may be eating the sour fruits of your actions. 
but you can go to your sons and daughters and beg forgiveness this very night. You can show them now how to live for King Jesus by your humility, by your repentance, and your prayers for renewal for them and yourself. And if you have a hard marriage, and if you have not nurtured your wife in her spiritual walk, nor prayed for her conversion, then do the same. Beg forgiveness. Repent and pray. Brothers, it is, not o- Brothers, it is only upon our knees. It is only in the prostrate man who comes before King Jesus that our wives and children will believe we actually serve a king that we say is so great. It is only by being prostrate down upon our faces in repentance and in ashes if it must that our families see that we truly believe that the king that we profess is truly king in our lives. In conclusion, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, sons and daughters, God has called us to serve in our relationships, whether to submit or to steward. This service is done ultimately under the Lordship of Christ. But if we are honest, all of us, we have all failed, have we not? We have all failed in our duties. We either fail to submit in all that God requires, or we have spurned our responsibilities to those God has given us. But brothers and sisters, the good news is that our failures do not end with us. Christ is the perfect Son who submitted to His Father's will. And Christ is the perfect bridegroom of His bride, the church, whom He has cleansed and sanctified. So brothers, sisters, sons and daughters, receive Christ for pardon of sins and for the power over your sins and live under His kingship. We may fail one another, but Christ, your brothers, your sisters, He will never fail us. But let us learn how to serve one another as Christ has done for us. It is as my friend said at the very beginning, if we can be good moms and dads, if we could be good husbands and wives, to the glory of God, it is indeed worth it. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this humbling message that often we are not, or Father, rather, we, we failed in our duties as husbands, as wives, as obedient children. We have failed. And Lord, we are worthy of your condemnation. But thank you, Father, for a Christ who is able to save even worthless husbands, worthless wives, and worthless children for your honor and your glory. Father, convict us all of sin and where we have failed and help us in our responsibilities to one another so that we might serve the ultimate end of not of better families or of better marriages, 
but that we might promote in our marriages and in our families the new creation that has come. O Father, may your glory be paramount in our families, in our marriages. And Lord, may that glory alone captivate us enough and captivate us alone to follow out these, the spirit of these commandments in all their multitudes of ways. O Father, forgive us, we pray. All this in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.